This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp, and today's episode is juicy and deep, and I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Eric Demir. So he is the founder of Earth Picks and History Photographed on Instagram. He has built an audience of over 50 million followers on social media. EarthPix alone reaches over 400 million people each month, and History Photograph reaches over 100 million people each month. And on top of this, he grew his TikTok from zero to one million followers in just nine months. So he really knows what he's talking about with social media, and not only that, but with travel, because EarthPix is a very travel-based experiential Instagram account. So through founding these accounts, he's also been able to meet presidents of several countries and other amazing businessmen like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban. And today's conversation, we are talking about social media tips, tricks, hacks, and actionable items to grow your account starting from scratch. We're talking travel. And although it's a little crazy out there, it's still a beautiful time to go and explore the world. So he is sharing where he thinks that you should splurge versus save and some great tips on where to travel without breaking the bank. And he's also talking about how to get featured on Earth Picks and have your content and profile seen by millions. And this is just one of the stepping stones. So many people that they work with who have no followers, they get featured and their accounts just blow up. So he's also talking about his prediction on social media trends and things that you're going to want to know if you're online for business. So whether you should be using TikTok, Reels, Instagram, the the carousel feature, we talk about all of these things. And we also go into mindset and how to stay positive when shit is hitting the fan, because let's face it, we are all a bit stressed out and could use some tips on managing all the bad news in the world. So as I said, this is a juicy and deep and delicious conversation, and I am so thrilled to welcome Eric to the podcast. And without further ado, here's our conversation. Eric, it is such a pleasure to have you here. I honestly am amazed that you even agree to do this interview. And for those of you listening, the reason why is Eric manages and his team helps a lot of Instagram pages. And one in particular has 24, 23 or 24 million followers. So with your busy schedule and managing these and just being a badass entrepreneur, first off, I have to say, thank you for being here. And I want to just jump straight in. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and why you are doing what you're doing? Because it's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I appreciate your kind words, of course. So I've always had a passion for connecting with people. And I guess you can say human behavior, if that's a thing. But it's always been a, a passion of mine to connect with people. And, you know, I've, since I'm a little, and I'm 39 as of June 12th of this year, I started my first social media profile back in 2003 when Tom launched myspace.com. And, you know, I quickly knew that I had a passion for connecting with people online. I've been connecting with people online since 2003. And so in 2000, around 2000, end of 2012, when I was working on a different project, I met two very young gentlemen who were very creative in their own way. 
and very smart. And they were the ones who kind of brought me into this whole social media thing of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram with the idea of creating what's now EarthPix and History and Photograph and our network of now over 50 million followers. So I was able to learn a lot through what these young gentlemen were doing on social media very early on. And I just fell in love with it. And I wanted to build a business from it. And I wanted to be able to build a business so that I can connect with others and be able to provide value for millions of people at scale. So that's why essentially, you know, I took on the journey of becoming, an, I guess you could say, a digital entrepreneur. And, and also the freedom uh, that I can be anywhere in the world and I still manage my business. I always knew that that was my, more of my passion of being able to just be free, have the freedom of being anywhere in the world and travel and be, create a business around it. Amazing. And I'm so excited for our conversation. We're going to go a few different places from business entrepreneurship and, and mindset, and especially in a day and age where things are changing so quickly with social media. And I also want to get into topics like travel and growing your Instagram account and, you know, where people should splurge and not splurge. And and we're going to go all over the place, but it's going to be a really fun one. So I want to just read this off quickly because as I was looking into and doing the research for this, I came across this this one little piece. Um, I'll read it. And then I just wanted to start talking about it. So a piece in the Atlantic disclosed the names of the geniuses behind a series of massively popular Twitter accounts, including EarthPix and History in Pix, which you, history, um, history photographed, I think Photograph. is. yeah. It's, but it was on Twitter. And I found that interesting to know that you guys started on Twitter. So each with over a million followers. So 17-year-old Xavier from Australia, 19-year-old Kyle from Hawaii, Hawaii. With, with the help of an older friend, the 30-year-old Eric <laughs> Demir. At the time, the three were making close to $1 million a month from advertising on sites that they directed their huge traffic fire hoses to. So what I find incredible about this is you really tapped into social media before social media was a thing. So I'd love to hear, I guess, what's been your evolution going from Twitter to Instagram and how the heck did you grow these accounts so wildly popular? Uh, so initially we were just on Twitter and of course, you know, Xavier, Kyle, they had a very unique, you know, way of being able to network with other individuals and people on Twitter as well, other creators, if you will. So the whole like creator ecosystem was a thing still back then, even that early on. And so one of the ways that we initially started growing the accounts was by networking networking with other influencers. At the time, they were not called influencers or mm-hmm. other Twitter Twitter handles. And basically just asking for, you know, retweets, exchanges. So of course, tapping into other audiences that we felt may have interest in the type of content that we were sharing and it just naturally took off because not anyone else was doing what we were doing on Twitter at the time. We were a more photo-centric handle, whereas everyone else was tweeting, you know, 140 characters back in that time. Even when you shared a photo, it would actually not display the photo. It would actually give you a, provide you with a short link. Right. And then people, people on Twitter had to click that link and then it would open up the actual photo itself. So the reason I mentioned that was because we quickly knew that because of the photo sharing idea from day one of sharing, you know, the most powerful moments in history and also some of the most amazing content of travel and nature, whether it was, you know, animals or a beautiful place in Iceland that most people had probably had never seen unless they were a huge National Geographic fan. 
you know, they, Caio and Xavier became amazing and very talented at sourcing that content for some of the best photographers in the world. And it wasn't easy at first. It was really actually quite difficult because photographers didn't understand why we were resharing their content. And so essentially, like throughout the first year and a half of us building that audience, you know, we were harassed by photographers and also the media. There's a couple of articles online that talk about how, you know, these handles on Twitter are stealing content and, you know, share and and resharing it or people really, really didn't understand that concept. Now there's fast forward to 2022, we get DMs, thousands of DMs every week. And creators offering us to pay us to get oh, featured. Oh, I, I was going to say that's probably yeah. people because you're such a large account. People, I can only imagine like Jake and Marie, who you know I'm friends with. Like I, you guys have reposted them, and it's you can go get so many followers and go viral from you guys yeah. posting it. So how times have changed. Okay, so going from then, and you guys do this, you make it to Instagram. It's so interesting. You and I have such similar stories in that sense, yeah. where I started my account as a place when I had two eating disorders and it was a place for me to kind of track what I was eating. I would go to Tumblr and find photos and then post them on Instagram of like Fitzbo and inspirational women. And no one else was doing that at the time. Everyone was still using the, you know, crappy old filters that they had. And like, so fast forward to 2022. So you've, you've done all of these things what has been the evolution? Like, are you seeing that people are are still in that wanting to share? Because like for me, I remember growing my account, we would shout each other out and do all those things. And so do you find it more competitive or, or are people still in that collaborative state? Are people stealing your ideas and content? What's going on now? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of that happening, uh, cross-collaboration between creators. And I think the ones that are doing the cross-collaboration between creators are the creators that are, you know, thinking about the business the right way, the creators who are not collaborating with other, you know, whether it's other creators or other accounts like Earthpix or reaching out to accounts like Earthpix to collaborate, I think they're very short-minded and I think they're losing out on an opportunity to tap into someone else's audience and vice versa, provide that value for someone else. As far as like what we do, you know, there is a lot of copying going on. There is a lot of replicating what we do as a business. And for us, it's simply like a compliment that, you know, some of the bigger biggest accounts on Instagram that do what we do from day one have been inspired by us to, you know, replicate what we do and not only replicate, but also not, you know, come to our feed and take nine out of the 10 posts that we do post on Instagram today are reshared by the biggest accounts on the, the biggest accounts on Instagram. So for us, that's a big compliment, but the collaborative part of it on the creator side, I think that's such an amazing idea for people to actually grow their audience as well. And one of the things that I tell my friends is if you have half a million followers, find other creators that you feel align with not only your content, but also your values from a standpoint of, you know, what you share online, reach out to them, be friendly, ask if they are interested in cross collaborating, whether it's by stories, sharing stories and shouting each other out, because that helps, that helps you grow with today's organic growth. Of course, you know, these platforms have pushed, the algorithm has pushed down the reach so mm-hmm. much that you have to get really creative with how you think of growing. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen with bigger accounts like Earthpix, you know, and, and it's that's very unfortunate because for me, all the founders of other bigger accounts who reach out to me where someone would look at them as a direct com- competitor have asked me like, what do you guys do and how do you guys find your content? And I'm always happy to share that 
Of course, there's proprietary things that we do that I will never share with them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of just our bread and butter of how we do source content. But I do provide a lot of great information to them. And I do hope that one day there's bigger accounts that are collaborating with each other because essentially they're helping each other grow. But unfortunately, the bigger accounts like EarthPix don't see that value and might be a little bit playing it from a, from a perspective of fear of maybe like, oh, why would I help them? They don't really see it as helping each other out. But for creators, I think it's an amazing idea for you, for you guys to be doing that. Mm, I fully agree. And that's without knowing or with the goal of growing in 2013, when I started, that was what I did. And I do find for me, at least in in the wellness mindset kind of category, I find that people are less collaborative than they were in the beginning, because it, as you said, it's the mindset of kind of fear-based of, you know, I can't do this because it's sharing too much or whatever that might be. So I want to come back to that on the the mindset and, you know, running businesses, but EarthPics and History Photographed, do you personally run those? Do you have a team? Do you guys go out and shoot your own content or is it all source? Like walk us through all of that. And then, because I know you guys do source content, but how can a a content creator get their stuff featured then? So a little bit of that side of the, the business. Yeah. So we do record some of our content, but I would say probably only about 5% of the content that we share on EarthPix is original content created by us and our team when we do travel. 95% of it is created and sourced through other amazing creators on TikTok and on Instagram. And that's something that we've always done. Initially, we never created our own content. I think for the first five years of us being in business or six years, it was always sourced content from other creators we have multiple ways of sourcing that content. And we've always been very fair about the way that we do it in the sense that, you know, just because someone is my friend, I'm not going to give them a preference. Just this morning, I had a, a friend of mine send a video, amazing video that her and her partner shot. And the only thing I'd say is I'll pass it on to my team and I will let them decide whether it's good for if, if it has the earthquakes components that we look for. We do have a team. We've always had a team of people that either work on sourcing the content, reaching out to creators. Most recently, uh, my fiance has taken over the content strategy and I bring her up because I'm so proud of her and what she's done in a very short period of time. She's exceeded and broke all our records from most views to most engagements to most likes to more shares all across the board. You know, she has a video that got 162 million views. Which what? We, what? What video is this one? So this is a video that we did for, actually, it was a campaign that we did for Dubai Tourism wow. of their Expo 2020. And it's a video of a, of a lady who's standing in front of this waterfall that as the water falls down to her feet, it kind of sucks down in the water. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get you wet or anything. It looks like you're about to get tons of water on you, but it doesn't. And it was just one of the many uh, exhibitions that they had at Dubai's Expo. And, you know, we're very proud of that video because officially that is the most viewed Dubai Expo or Dubai video online right now. And we were able to do that in just a very short period of time. And and you you guys created that one? No, that was created by... So that video was actually created by a normal person. It wasn't a creator. It wasn't an influencer. It was just a regular guest who attended the show and... Because of our way of finding content, we were able to source that, find it from just a regular person who we only had about a thousand followers on Instagram. And now that video has been seen uh, 162 million on our account and over 300 million views across 
TikTok and Instagram across other accounts that have shared it. So imagine you being a person showing up to this expo and now you've seen over 300 million people have seen your video because someone like EarthPix, account like EarthPix showed it. But the team wise, you know, she has a very unique way of sourcing. And I think she just has that talent for what works and what doesn't. She doesn't come from a background of, you know, running social media pages or even digital. She did hair transplants for 12 years. And then she went on to becoming a dental hygienist. And then <laughs> I begged her to quit the job and come work with us and help me and how let's build together and that whole power couple idea. And after a while of me kind of telling, because you know, obviously you're going into, you know, you've built two careers and then you work so hard on, you know, going through school. It's, it's a lot of work going to school to become a dental hygienist and then having to just say, okay, I'm going to leave that behind after three years of finally breaking it in and then going into a whole new industry that I know nothing about. But, you know, she's she's been doing great and our team's been doing better because of her. And we've all have experienced that. And I love that. I love that. Anytime I see couples working together to build together and, and they really go after what they believe in, what, they, what they're passionate about, it truly inspires me as well. I love that. And you had mentioned that you guys actually, I think, met on Instagram? Yeah, we met through Instagram through a mutual friend. And, you know, that was like from day one, we have had that strong connection and we shared a lot of our values are shared a lot, even though she's from Canada and I'm, you know, from Guatemala and she's originally Persian from Iran. We, our families share a lot of this, the, the common, you know, culture values that we were raised with. And we just believed in, you know, love at first sight type deal. And we started to build our relationship from that point on. I love it. it. I mean, very similar. I I met my fiance on Instagram too. So no yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. the, the, the long short of that story is it, it came via a dating app, but he had seen me, his account never came up for me. And then he messaged me on Instagram because I was in St. Lucia during the pandemic. And he, you know, like what a way in, he asked about the travel restrictions and we started talking and then, and here we are. Oh, you guys- you guys met through pandemic as well? Yeah, yeah. And you're what, three weeks away from getting married? Yeah, yeah. As, as we record this, uh, July 5th, and we get married in 18 days. Wow, crazy. that's yeah, amazing. Crazy. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. And you as well, Lake Como next okay. year. So, I mean, God, I have a million questions for you. <laughs> let's, let's jump into, you know, as you're saying, your fiance, she's really good at sourcing. What do you look for a video or a photo? Like, do you guys take photos or like swipe rights, you know, or is it only real? So what do you look for? And what's kind of the, obviously not the magic formula that you're going to give away, but like a content creator who's looking to get featured on EarthPix. Like, sure. what, what do you think? Yeah, I think for us now, it's become a very simple format of what we look for. If your video has unique experiences that will inspire others to want to travel to that specific destination, even if it's just a cabin somewhere in the woods, but you recorded that experience in such a unique way that it just makes you want to be there and want to experience that yourself, we will share it. So that's what we look for as far as like unique content and the unique ways of people or creators filming that content. It just has to inspire, right? It has mm. to inspire or bring a smile to your face. And a lot of the content that we share, of course, is animals, of course, nature. And that sort of content, right? If it brings a smile to our face when we see it on the feed within the first three seconds, we know it's going to inspire and not only inspire, but it's going to bring somebody a smile. And that's the value that we look to kind of project to people every day. It's not so much about 
getting people to travel out, but it's also about just, there's so much negative content that's being put out on a daily basis by news channels and, you know, shootings happening. So we like to think of EarthPix as your little getaway from that, from the reality of some of the bad things that are happening in this world. And I feel like that's why people engage with our content is because we kind of look to project that value is bringing somebody a smile. If you want to share that piece of content with your friends, it's automatically a winner for us. You know, and we have to feel that same way. Imagine someone or a team or us, my fiance, for example, who has to look through hundreds of pieces of content every single day, or maybe even a thousand pieces of content just to find, you know, three or four good ones that will either have the shareable aspect of it, inspirational aspect of it, or just bring a smile to your face every single, like from the content that we're sharing. If it fits any of those three, you're, we will share it. And the way that we source the content is we have multiple platforms that we look at. We, we have a list of creators as well that we tend to look for as well. You know, obviously trends going on, either trending songs as well. I'm going to get too detailed into our unique way of sourcing it. But mm-hmm. I guess one way that you can be featured on EarthPix to help us find that content is simply by tagging us as well. By tagging us, either sharing us on your story and tagging us because that gives us, you know, it notifies our direct messages on Instagram. Or if you just tag us, we constantly look through tags as well to see what creators are tagging us in to see if there's anything that we can find and and from those tags as well. So we do tend to look at that. Great. I mean, great advice then for anyone listening who is looking to either get featured or grow an account. And so in terms of then, you know, you, you look for all this content and it has to be inspirational or fun. Do you tend to go or let's say repost things or, or, or just post the content when there's someone in it, like where the, you know, you see the girl walking through the bathtub and then it pans out to, you know, some beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing? Or is it more about the just location and it doesn't matter if someone's in it? Both. Both. Okay. So, yeah. And, you know, we were probably... I would say probably like one of the first account that was, um, I guess that was okay with showing people in, in the video instead of just the landscape. And initially we were, there was a lot of backlash for that because, you know, obviously people feel like, why is she in the shot? You know, why couldn't you just shoot that without that girl walking around? Like, why is there always has to be a girl walking around? It's always the girl. It's never the guy. And then we started posting guys that are creators as well. So we were like, all right, guys, we have to find some content. You know, we've posted a lot of, a few of, you know, really good looking creators out there, men. And of course the comments are always, you know, from the women like more of this, please, more of this, you know? So, but we were actually one of the first to start saying that initially there was a lot of backlash because of what I said. And then eventually people just kind of get used to it. For us, we look at it in a different perspective. We look at it from uh, when you go out to share these experiences, to experience a new destination, there is people involved, right? It's not just the location. It's not just the destination. And so if we can actually show a more realistic point of view of somebody enjoying the scenery, somebody enjoying the infinity pool, somebody enjoying breakfast, you know, with this amazing background of Maldives or Bora Bora or Philippines or wherever you may be, for us, we look at it as that is more realistic perspective, right? And of course, it doesn't have to be, and it's not for us, it's not just, you know, the models, the Instagram models who are doing that. It could be anyone. It could, it could be literally, it could be, you know, we've shared family, family content where the kids are running around the videos, you know, the, the wife and the husband 
are enjoying a beautiful infinity pool, having breakfast by it. So it's not just, we don't purposely just look for that, you know, uh, content where you have a lot of models that are going out and shooting now. We, we look for everything. So, but of course, we're not going to steer away from models that are in the shots because it makes people feel uncomfortable. Because for us, that's just not realistic. You know, it's, we just look at it as it's people. We don't right. see it as it's a model. It's like, oh, look at this beautiful, gorgeous woman who's a model full time and now traveling. That's unrealistic. Why is that unrealistic? It is realistic. She's traveling. She's, experience, <laughs> she's experiences this amazing, this amazing villa. And it, you know, it happens to be that this video actually has what we look for and we'll share it, whether it's a family or a single person or a couple going out and traveling. I have noticed, and I want to ask you this question because I know that you shoot content with your partner as well. We have noticed that now people are also looking for more family-oriented content, like experiences, right? Where people are traveling with children as opposed to just, you know, for a long time, it was the inspirational couple shots that did incredibly mm-hmm. well. And one thing that we've noticed too now with when we do share a family with their baby or, you know, whether it's two kids on the trip with them, people tend to like that a lot more because it shows a realistic approach of family travelers rather than just, you know, this couple, like my partner and I, right? We don't have any kids, so it's always mm-hmm. going to be just us. But once we do start having kids, we do want to record that because we want to show the process of traveling with our baby. And, and have yeah. you guys thought about doing something that, that are well, if, <laughs> my- if you are deciding to have kids? <laughs> Definitely going to have kids. My, my fiance is very private. So okay. As of this podcast, I've actually never shared his first name even. Oh, wow. To, okay. Yeah. And a you know, funny thing when we, so we started talking online and then we went from Instagram to WhatsApp and we spoke for about three weeks and then we did a phone date and then a FaceTime date after that and then in person. But on our phone date, he made a comment and he, he was like, I will never take your photo or be the Insta husband. And I, I remember oh, just sitting no. there and I was, we, I was on the phone and I was like, <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I'm like, you do know what I do, right? Like I do travel. (laughs) And now he's starting to see that I can get really beautiful hotel stays. And I, you know, it's beneficial. I go through waves of it too, of just being like, oh my God, so many people. Like I was looking up the Maldives because we're, we want to do our honeymoon there. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll reach out to a hotel. And for me, I don't try to just get necessarily free stays. I personally like to buy my stay and then just see if we can get upgraded because then there's, at least for me, there's kind of less pressure versus, I don't, I I feel more, more creative in that sense. And that's just what works for me. But I, I started looking this up and it was saying that all these different articles, how, you know, the hotels in the Maldives are getting 10 requests a day from people saying, you know, can I have a seven night stay? And, and so it's turned me off of trying Mm. to do those sort of collaborations, but my partner now is starting to realize that we're getting invited to pretty cool places. And he, he actually came to me and said, and I want to turn this back to you have more questions, but he was like, well, I'm thinking about getting the new iPhone. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, why do you need it? And he was like, well, I just realized that my phone, it just, I can't really take good photos of you. And I'm like, <laughs> drop the mic, drop the <laughs> Wait, say that again. I want to, I want to get this recorded. Yeah. Say it again for the yeah. record. I mean, yeah. so it's funny, just, you know, the social media world. And I think as you said about your fiance, you start to realize that it's almost from what I see, like there's people who follow you and then there's those of you, like the content creators and 
it's like this ecosystem. And I, I want to get into that because the ecosystem is there's a lot of backstabbing happening. There's a lot of copying. There's also a lot of really friendly people. And so I would love to know, I guess for you, like, are you friends with other big accounts? You were telling me there's one account that just got deleted with 15 million yeah. followers. And you also have mentioned, you know, that people have taken your stuff and reposted. So what are the politics? Like, give me some juiciness behind <laughs> running these huge accounts. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I would like to believe that we're friendly with each other because, you know, we talk from time to time with the founders of other big accounts without saying any names. I would we'll like talk, to we'll think talk that, juiciness, no names. <laughs> no names, yeah. No throwing shade at specific names. Um, I would like to think that we're friendly, you know, but then, you know, we turn around and we look at the way that they run their business and they literally just go to our feed. And not only do they just like take all of the videos that we post, so it shows to us like they're not really trying to be, you know, to be creative on their own. They're not really trying to innovate or to do anything new. They're not really trying. And then we know that they, they take everything from our feed because it's so clear that they're using a rephrasing tool to not only steal the, the captions that, you know, my fiance takes pride in doing research and finding out, you know, where the location is. Even a few days ago, there was a specific person that we wanted to share their content. She's not a known creator, you know, 5,000 followers. And she said, I don't want to share this unless we can share the location because it's such a beautiful place and I cannot find anything about this location. So we reached out to the creator and the creator says, you can share it, but I'm not giving you the location, you know? And so to make a long story short, you know, obviously we're not going to share that video because we want to make sure that as a company, as a team, we provide that value for our audience. And if we can't tell you the number one comment on her post is, where is this? And she's not oh my, sharing I, it. I'm the person that, like, from your account too, I go and save so many places where I'm like, oh my because God, that's a that. hotel I want to visit. And then you, yeah, it's a pain in the butt if you don't find it. So sorry to interrupt. Yeah. To so we, we do a lot of work, a lot of work behind every post, right? And that's something that we take pride in. And my fiance takes a lot of pride in that. And to see that other big accounts with, you know, tens of millions of followers would just come to our feed and then take the content that we've shared. That's fine because it's not ours. We don't own it. They can reshare whatever they want. But then they go and they use a rephrase tool. And it's so obvious because it's like almost word by word of what we posted. And in some cases, the accounts would just copy and paste our captions onto theirs. And it just kind of, you know, those are the politics that we play in this game. And obviously, I guess... From our perspective, we don't do that to anyone else. So for us, there is that sort of sense of respect among, from us to them and saying like, we're not going to copy your work and plagiarize, plagiarize, yeah. <laughs> plagiarize your work. And, you know, a lot of the big accounts do that to us. And, you know, a lot of times we just kind of have to take a step back and say, Hey, you know what? That's a huge compliment to us because our team is less than a handful of people, whereas their team is 30 people. Wow. And, and if they're not in the office telling their team, don't look at other accounts. Like we have to have our own way of sourcing and finding this content. So there's a lot of that going on. And so I would like to think that, you know, we're friends, you know, and that we get along, but then that's going on in the background of, you know, and then later on they call us and they ask, Hey, like, I want to pick your brain about this and that and the industry and something that's happening with the industry. 
it's like, you want the value from us, but you just can't seem to respect that. We do a lot of work on our site to like create this, these captions and information. And I actually reached out to one of a person that I consider to be friendly with. And I said, Hey man, like I would appreciate it if you stop copying our captions word by word, because there's a lot of time that goes into this. And, you know, he was like, Oh, I thought you guys were just copying in from other accounts, you know? Mm. And it's like, no, we don't do that. You know? And, and I would appreciate it if you could just like rephrase like the whole thing or talk about your own caption. People just don't respect it in the industry. They just want to do whatever's best for them. We've seen it on that, on all kinds of, you know, ends of it and kind of take our ideas and, and replicate them as well. And it's just part of the business, I guess, that part of what comes with running a business, but we never look at them as competition. We always just kind of feel like we all have, you know, something unique to bring, but I guess that's not the case in a lot of, in most cases, but we just keep running with our business. We keep laser focus and just do what we do best and continue to work doing that. And that's all you can do. Amazing. So, you know, you're mentioning the business side of it. I would love to know, and I'm sure a lot of people are curious on these big accounts and, you know, like history photographed and earth pics, how are you guys making money off of that? And then also what are some applicable and practical tips you have for others looking to grow their Instagram or create a business? Like it's almost like everything you touch turns to gold. Like your personal account has 400,000, your, you know, history photographed, you have your, the new one, Travel IO, which we'll Travel talk Io. about. So yeah, some I'd love to just know like how you guys are making money and then practical and applicable tips for others looking to grow their business or accounts. Sure, absolutely. I'm happy to share that with you because I feel like there's a big gap in between what some accounts with 25 million followers are doing to monetize their business and how they're building it versus how we're building it. And we know this because we talk to clients all the time and they say, well, you know, how come you charge this much? And the other account with, you know, more followers than you charges less, right? And so, or how come that account only charges a fraction of what you charge? So one of the uh, unique approach that we take as a company is that we're a creative agency and it's a very boutique, small creative agency. We choose to work with less clients than, you know, go for the volume of business because we want to provide the most value for each individual client. So one way that we make money is by consulting. A second way then consulting brands on how to grow their audience, best practices, how to collaborate with other brands or other creators, how to source creators that can be more valuable for their business instead of as opposed to just looking for the, you know, the, the, the number of followers that they have. That's just a vanity number in, in most cases. And also how to search for creators that have real followers as opposed to, you know, ramped up created fake followers or botted followers and botted engagement. So we're really good at figuring that stuff out and we educate brands on that. So consulting is one way. The second way is by either going out, traveling and creating original content for their specific brand integrating their brand into our travel. So we integrated product placement on the brands and, you know, on the description of the, of the post that we do, we'll mention the brand and we'll let people know, like go to this specific or follow this account for, you know, products similar to this or whatever. So, you know, obviously that product placement integrated with travel related content, you know, we've done everything from luggage to fashion, to energy drinks, to, you know, Land Rover, we worked on the deal with Land Rover. We've worked wow. with Disney before, you know, and we worked with other products as well that, you know, our consumer-based products as well 
So that's one brand deals. I guess a simple way of everyone else knows mm-hmm. it. But what I have to say is this, and this is like my advice to creators and also to any other accounts that may listen to this. Don't give rates off the bat when somebody reaches out to you. That is the number one way to dilute the value that you can provide a brand. If a brand is not willing to jump on a Zoom call with you, they're not that serious and they don't have the budgets that will pay you your worth. So that is number one mistake I feel creators and other accounts do is when somebody reaches out to them and they're like, hey, we're interested in working with you. What are your rates? And then they're so quick to giving rates out. You know, oh, I'll charge $2,000 a post. But instead of asking for the brand's time so that you can build report and so that you can also provide more additional value as to who you are as a creator in a company. And so we will never quote a rate over email, over direct message, because we want to understand the specific brand's needs, right? We understand what their demographic is. What is their core demographic? Most recently, I spoke to a company who reached out to me and said, hey, we're spending, we just raised $20 million and we're creating our budgets and we want to start buying shout outs on Earthpix. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't sell shout outs. And they came back right away and said, well, you don't offer brand, you don't offer brand uh, posts. And I said, no, we don't offer it in the way that you're wanting to buy it. I said, but I'm happy to jump on a call with you and figure this out right away. He's like, here's what my WhatsApp number. I'm the chief marketing officer. I love the way that you responded to that. Then we started talking about what we did as a company. And he right away said, you know that two or three of your competitors right away sent me the rates. And now I understand why you are more valuable than them. Mm, Simply. And then we ended up meeting in person when they flew in from out of town. We ended up having breakfast together. And they end up sharing with me that they have over $2 million budget, but wow. they're afraid to spend it with the wrong accounts and the wrong creators. So they're looking for an agency that can help them guide and how to spend that money. So right off the back, if we end up taking that client, we right off the back can make 20% on whatever they spent. That's $200,000 a year or in the $2 million budget, that's a $200,000 service fee. And on top of that, if we end up creating original content for them, we can possibly make another $200,000, $300,000 that year with them, right? But the number one thing that stood out to them was that I said to them, we are going to figure out exactly how to create content that's going to convert users to your app. Because what you're looking for is users. You're not looking for brand awareness. So you're not a Coca-Cola. You're not a McDonald who's spending half a billion dollars a year just for brand recognition and brand awareness. You need those conversions in order to continue running your business. And so we shared just in that meeting alone, I put together like a quick kind of plan to how we would do it. And I gave them a lot of value. And I said, look, you could either go out and take this and run with it. And by all means, if you do that, good luck to you guys and hope that you guys end up, you know, growing your business immensely. But or you can hire us on to bring that value for you and making sure that we execute the right plan for you guys. So taking the call is very important. It automatically increases your value by tenfold. Right. Mm. You know, and rather than charging $500 a post, all of a sudden now you're a $2,000 person or a $3,000 post person. Because you're meant. Oh, so what I was going to say, and I, I find this really interesting. And for anyone listening, it's not even just, you know, content creators. Like as you're talking about these things, it's giving value, really, really overly giving value. And that's something I think you and I share that value in of itself of always over deliver, understand what your client needs. And so, you know, whether you're like a massage therapist trying to get a a person in, even as you're saying, like, get on a phone call, it's 
Yeah. Not sending like I actually it's so funny. I just sent someone a DM earlier today for a an energy session. I said, What you know, what's your rate? And because I couldn't find it on her website. And and it was sweet though. She immediately wrote back and I was like, Okay, great. But I, I totally see how a little bit of conversation first sure. builds the rapport. So anyone looking to then grow their account, I'm I'm hearing two things. One, really connecting with your audience or the person messaging you, I'm sure, you know, message back to people, but then, and also giving value. You know, I feel like it's just so hard to grow in this space now. So what are some other applicable tips just on that? So there's, there's another thing that I want to talk about because the word grow is always being used in the creator space, the creator economy, if you will. And now what I've noticed too, there's a big trend going on where brands are now starting to focus on, and this is something that I've been talking about for years, by the way, the word micro-influencers, right? Right. And now brands are starting to lean more towards spending their budgets with micro-influencers and creators that don't have the million followers, the 2 million followers, the 10 million followers. And I completely agree with why they're doing it. And that's simply because number one, smaller influencers or creators have more time to engage with their audience and connect with them by replying to comments, by engaging with them, by replying to DMs, by where somebody with 10 million followers hardly ever replies to anyone commenting on their posts. And the cost of doing business with somebody who has 50,000 followers, as opposed to somebody who has 2 million followers is a fraction of what you would normally spend. And the other thing is that user-generated content Now, brands are starting to go towards more user-generated content. So they're starting to actually reach out to creators with as little as 2,000 followers who are great communicators and are providing the most value for their audience than someone who has 10 million followers and it's not providing as much value or connecting with their audience at that level. So I'll give you an example, right? Like you can become a creator. I've seen some of these gals and, and guys that are making excess of six figures a year that only have about 20,000 followers on TikTok. And the reason they're doing that is because every single day they're creating videos projecting that value. They're very informative videos of consumer products, of travel, of whatever it may be, like a masseuse, for instance. You know, I have a friend of mine, Rami, who's a, a doctor. He uh, also does a lot of physiotherapy, physical therapy. And he started his TikTok account with just informing people some of the things that they should do to increase performance after an injury, for instance, right? And you ask yourself, like, well, who wants to listen to that type of content? There's a ton of people out there, sports, people in sports, high schools, college sports people, or just coaches in general. And I was talking to him the other day and he said, yeah, he's like, I don't have that many followers, only about 5,000. He was already getting contacted from coaches asking him, hey, can I pay you for an hour of your time? Because I really want to figured this thing out about how to recover faster from an injury for a lot of my students that end up getting injured and not able to play on the season because of it. So smaller creators are now projecting more value than larger influencers from a standpoint of, you know, understanding how to connect with their audience. And number two, providing that informative content to their audience. And then the brand can now use that piece of that one minute video and run an ad against it. So one of the things I've noticed lately is that especially on TikTok now, and I'm sure they're going to start doing it on Instagram as well, is they'll go out and and we've done this too. They'll go out and pay a creator with 5,000 followers, hey, create a video for us reviewing our product, 
right? And then they run an ad against that. Because on TikTok, when you see another creator talking about a product, you're most likely to listen or hear what they have to say than if you were just to see a regular commercial, traditional commercial ad format or a static ad creative for the ad. So that's one of my biggest advice is like, don't worry about the amount of followers you have. Worry about the amount of value you're projecting to your audience, whether it's even a, having a thousand followers or whether you have 5,000 or 10,000 followers. Oh, I love it. And such sound advice. I fully agree because it's everyone's like, you know, the numbers game, numbers game. And at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers. It's who's engaging with you and who's going to buy your product or who's going to book your services. And you can have 500 followers and really dedicated and they care what you're doing versus, you know, someone with a million. And I'm sure we've all seen it though. You have the million plus people who they're like, oh, you know, everyone's going to buy this product that I'm going to put out. And then like there was one girl, she put out a t-shirt line and literally like five t-shirts were sold. So, okay. Moving on to a different question then, and it's kind of two parts, but do you think it's better to be on TikTok versus Instagram? Is Instagram swipe right and photos dead versus reels? Like i.e. Where do you see the trends going, especially like with the algorithm? It's actually been really hard for people like me and content creators. Like if you don't have a, a themed account, meaning like a funny meme account or like earth pics, you know, where sure. it's like travel. So I'm finding it harder. So I guess almost like three part is like, where do you see the trends going? Sure. Do you think it's better to be on TikTok versus Instagram? And is the swipe right and just photos, are they dead? <laughs> Um, first I'll answer the question of if our swipe right photos dead. I don't think they're dead. One thing that we've noticed from running multiple accounts is that each account is very unique in their own sense of the type of content that we upload to a specific account. So if you want to focus on swipe right photos, then the algorithm is going to kind of record that as a how many times or how many people engage with your swipe right carousel post versus how many people engage with your real posts. Of course, features like Reels have more reach simply because Instagram is trying to compete against TikTok. So the reach on Reels is going to be far greater than the carousel post. Now, that doesn't mean the carousel post feature is dead. It just means that Instagram is competing against another platform and therefore willing to give you more reach on that end to influence you to post more real content. So that's one thing. If you're running a specific only carousel, only photograph-based account, your reach would still be the same as if you were if, if you were only posting real. I'm trying to figure out how to say this. So the algorithm is going to record what you post on a regular basis, right? So what we've noticed on EarthPix, because we went all in on, on real since day one, and we stopped sharing the photographs, the carousels that we were, our carousels went from an average of 250,000 likes to now down to about 110 or 100,000 likes. So that's less than half of the reach, less than half of the engagement because we went all in on reels. Now, if we would have kept healthy, you know, uh, balance of how many reels we post per day and how many photographs we post per day, how many carousels we post per day, I'm sure that number would be greater than 100,000 likes, but we didn't do that. So now trying to get it back up to you know, 150,000 likes or specific amount of reach is harder to get back up than it is when you've already lost that traction. And that's the same reason is also that it's harder now for us to find the carousel post content 
because creators are no longer focusing on that. But you as your own creator, if you have the ability to keep a healthy balance of carousel posts and reels, you should absolutely do that because there's a different, there's a different engagement type that happens from carousel posts than there is from reels. The behavior of people on the platform alone on carousel posts than reels are completely different. Your carousel posts with photography or static posts will typically probably get more comments than a reel will because the, the swipe up behavior of reels, it's like you look at one, you look at, it's designed in a specific way for you to keep swiping. It's not designed in a specific way for you to stop and comment. So this is why our carousel posts would get way, if you look at it from a reach perspective, apples to apples, we would always get more comments and more engagements, like real engagement comments and shares on those type of posts because it allows people to actually look at comments a lot easier. Right, you stop and you're swiping. That's so interesting. Okay, so let's do kind of quick fire round then. TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. TikTok. Okay. Like for me, I can't do TikTok because I'm like, I just, I have so much good content I could do, but I'm like, I'm already so busy. I don't want to film more. I feel like we're being like shoved social media down our throats, but okay. Like if someone's just starting out, why TikTok first Instagram? So I'll shift your mindset on what you just said right now. You said you want to do TikTok, but you can't because you just don't have the time. So this podcast that we're doing here, right? Find 12 of the best clips from this podcast that we're doing right now that is providing the most value or has the most controversial topics that we're talking about, right? right? That punchline that people would love to listen in on and cut them down to like 15 second clips, right? And all of a sudden you have a podcast that you did for an hour and now you have 12 clips for TikTok. So if you're doing a podcast per week, and you're getting 12 clips or let's say 14 clips per podcast and you're doing one podcast per week. Now you, I don't have time to edit 14 clips though. So you have, <laughs> there's, there's a company, I forgot the name of it, but they're advertising on TikTok. Actually, I'll send it to you. Oh my God. That's hilarious. And they specifically, they specialize in taking your videos, your long formatted videos and turning them into 15 second clips for TikTok. So interesting. there's always ways of doing it. I also tell myself this the same way, like I don't have time for it, right? So what I end up doing is I end up posting whatever I go out and travel. I end up posting whatever I can on TikTok. And sure, I was able to grow my TikTok account from zero to a million in nine months. What? Yeah. And, but it was at a time, <laughs> it was at a time, <laughs> it was at a time in 2020 where pandemic had just happened. Everyone was at home. And the algorithms and the features on TikTok were a lot different than they are today. We'll get into that in a little bit. The reason why I think TikTok is a much better platform is that it provides new creators with the ability and the opportunity to grow much faster because the right. algorithm is giving a preference to original content a lot more than they are reposting pages like EarthPix and whatnot. So another thing that I feel that TikTok has is just the way that their feed works. When you log into TikTok, it shows you 90% of the content of people that you don't follow and only 10% of the content of people that you follow, right? And now they split those feeds into friends and then just the regular feed, which is you can click between, but most people don't really go to their friends and start watching all of their friends or whoever they follow. Most people stay on the viral feed because they want to see what new viral video they can get. So they've been really good at figuring this stuff out of giving that, you know, those uh, dopamine shots to people every day mm -hmm. within split seconds. And people are looking for that every single day. And that is why TikTok is a, a better platform for new creators or creators that want to grow their audience. Further than that, 
I'm planning on going all in on TikTok in the next year and building an entire team so that we can be creating original content. And I myself want to start creating original content as well. My fiance and I talk about this. How simple, we travel every month. So how simple is it for us to just create a handful of videos, talking to people about where we travel to, what there is to do, giving their advice, like don't waste your time doing this, or here's a better way to get better prices on taxi cabs from the airport to your hotel. You know, little tips like that. Yes, please create that. Yeah, so <laughs> there's there's a gold mine that we've just been sitting on because we travel so much. Just last year, I think we went to 14, 13 countries in one year. Wow. So imagine the immense amount of content that we could have created around for TikTok. Right, for right. That. We just didn't really go after doing that. And now that we're in the process of getting ready to ramp up and relaunch Travelaya, now we're going to start doing that because I want to be able to provide as much value as I can for my audience on my personal account to show them what it's like to travel to all these destinations, missed airlines, long layovers, lost luggage, all of this stuff, right? All the things. So that's actually a great point because I want to talk about this new account you have. But before we jump in there, I want to know what do you like, what are the things that people should splurge on, whether it's experience or like a hotel? What's a hotel that you're, you're like definitely splurge on that? And then where do you think people should be? saving their money or like budget travel is really good to go. So splurge on, I'm biased, of course, because this is the one hotel that I thought was by far, like this was my, the way I proposed to my fiance was at the St. Regis in Bora Bora. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit biased on that because I feel like that if you're going to splurge on something once in your life, I think that is the one place, Bora Bora. In the one Do hotel. you think Bora Bora, let's say like versus Mauritius versus Maldives? Absolutely. Yeah, oh, interesting. I think so okay. too. Yeah, I think because Maldives is not only the flattest country in the world, and you don't have the mountains, you don't have the backgrounds, you don't have the type of. I mean, Maldives by far is like, I think it's like in my top three, but Bora Bora has something very special to it in the sense that you get the greenery background, you get the mountain in the middle of the lagoon, right, and then you get to have these sort of both experiences on land and also by doing a lot of the you know beach and ocean activities that you get to go swimming with humpback whales you can go swimming with mantas and you can you can do all of it in bora bora whereas maldives is very limited of what activities right. you can can go i feel like maldives is more of a destination to go relax and just enjoy mm -hmm. some time off and of course it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world from my opinion and as far as budget traveling there's so many ways right of figuring out Number one, booking your hotel in advance, booking your flights in advance, researching. The best way to budget travel, I feel, is, is instead of having a destination and buy in mind, be flexible with the destinations that you can go to because there's so many places that you can go to on a budget and not particularly have to spend the amount of money that others are spending by going to these like high demand, high destinations. But you still get the beauty of the blue water, clear beautiful islands. Philippines is one of my favorites. I think Philippines was by far one of the most affordable destinations that I visited before pandemic. Of course, I haven't been there post pandemic. Bali as well used to be very affordable, yeah. but now the flights have been incredibly expensive and that's just because of yeah. what's happening. Yeah. So Central America, of course, is another destination that I think is very affordable for budget travelers. There's a lot of hidden gems, especially in Southern Mexico. One that I haven't been to is called Bacalar, and it looks like a Maldives-type style lagoon, and it's right uh, two hours south of Tulum. And that is, I think, that is a destination that is in the process. I think it's not as touristic as other places, 
but I feel like it's going to get there in the next five or 10 years for sure. It's going to become oversaturated because of the beautiful. I've seen a few creators posting it on TikTok and I'm like, oh my God, this place looks so beautiful. I've talked wow. to friends that have been there, very affordable as well. The hotels are very like, you can't find a hotel for more than maybe $150 a night. And oh, amazing. I mean, God, so different from Tulum where it's like so, so expensive, oversaturated. Okay. So to round off the conversation, and I love that you actually gave some specific hotels and I fully agree to like travel is is so stressful in today's day and age, but at the same time, it's so worth it. And I love that, you know, for you, and I, I, I've read this, but I just based on this conversation is you're on a mission to get people to travel more. And I, I'm in line with you because this planet is amazing and beautiful. And yes, there's crappy things going on and the world is in a weird place, but there's also amazing people and places and things to do. So tell us about your new travel agency and how did that come about and what can people expect from it? Sure. Absolutely. We'd love to talk about that. Yeah. Like you said, I think anytime that you get out and travel and you learn new cultures, you try new foods, you connect with people from other cultures and that you're not used to, you start expanding your mind. You know, every person I've met when I've traveled, I haven't met a person that was close-minded in any of my travels. I haven't met a person, you know, who was not open to new things and new experiences when I was traveling. And so through my, you know, journey of traveling to over 45 countries in the last five years, I get a lot of DMs and I've gotten a, a ton of people telling me, I wish I could travel like you do. And I wish I could afford this, or I wish I could afford to go to these destinations. So I went on a mission in 2017, 18 to start to learning how the travel industry works from hotel bookings to flights. What is the actual cost per room discounted, whether it's the wholesale price versus the retail price? Because I know there's a, knowing business, I know there is a, a, a spread, a margin on these agencies that like Expedia or booking.com, they're making profits and they're making a great amount of profits when they're selling hotel inventory. So I started asking hotel uh, corporate teams, how does it work when you guys work with Expedia or with companies like Booking.com? And so there's a wholesale rate and a retail rate, very simple. And they both have a, an agreement in place that whatever the hotel website is selling the rate for, whether it's, let's say, they're selling a room for $500 a night, Expedia and Booking.com, they have to honor that rate and sell it for the same rate. However, they're not paying that rate. They're not getting that room for that specific rate. On, on an average, they're getting it from anywhere from 20% up to some cases, 70% discounted from the actual rate on the hotel site, depending on, of course, the time of the year, season, whether occupancy rate is low or high, it all depends, right? But that's all managed by technology. So one of the things I, I learned really quickly was that I could access, if I became a travel agency, I could access these wholesale rates that are available to travel agents and travel agencies, whether it's online or travel agents in real life and real so what I said was, what if I flip the model upside down and instead of me going and finding and locking in these wholesale rates, I made a profit off of them and, you know, obviously did, took on the same model that Expedia and Booking.com has. And instead of doing that, I just passed on the savings and I created a subscription business. So instead of you having to worry about, you know, how much money I'm going to make off of your booking, you just pay me a flat fee every month. Initially, we started with $10 a month, so $120 a year. And we just started locking in a lot of these wholesale rates through either you know, direct hotel inventory or aggregators that are working with hundreds of thousands of hotels. And we launched in 2019, the first version of it, the first beta was 2000, 
on average, people were saving about $1,200 to $1,400 that year. Wow. So they were paying us $120 for the subscription and saving 10 times the amount that they were paying us for. During that period of us testing that model, that business model, where we became the only company in the world that was not making commission or not marking up the rates that we found. Instead, you were just paying us that subscription every month. I had so many messages on my personal account saying, thank you for the service. Thank you for creating this. I thought it was too good to be true. I thought I was going to get scammed out of the payment, but it turned out to be that it was real and you guys were very competitive. The best price I found online for that specific hotel or for my trip. So it just continued to inspire me to want to build that product further. And you know, it's been taking us almost three years now because of the pandemic closing down and us rebuilding the entire technology from the ground up, wanting to provide the best experience for people. It's taken us almost three years now to finally be two weeks away from launching the second beta, which will be a private beta where we'll have mobile apps on Android and iOS. We'll have a brand new website. And now instead of having 100,000 hotels, we have over 900,000 hotels listed. Wow. So we're excited about that. And we're excited because not only... Do we get to save people money? Just three, four weeks ago, I was able to save a friend of mine about $1,800 on his booking to the W in Dubai. And he came back and said, how is it possible that you're $1,800 less than this specific other website? And I said, well, we're not making any money off your booking. We're just making, if you were a subscriber with us right now, we would just be making the monthly subscription that you're paying us and you would have saved that $1,800. So it's a no brainer for people. To, of course. to be on the to be on our on our app. That's incredible. And so people can follow that at Travel ISO and we'll put all of this in in the show notes. But def I mean, I'm interested. I want you guys to help me book my honeymoon apparently now in Bora Bora instead of the Maldives. Yes, I, I trust me, you're not gonna regret it. You're not definitely gonna <laughs> oh regret it. Oh my god. I love it. So Eric, as you're talking about Travelia and it taking three years when you've, and especially with the pandemic, and you've had so much other immediate success, I would love to know what are your thoughts about having the right mindset when it comes to business and when things don't go as planned or as you thought they would and having to wait? Because I know there's so many people that are like fed up with their jobs or they think that they haven't made it because they're, you know, 29 and they, they haven't become the content creator. So what are your tips, your tricks, and your own personal belief on waiting for success when it doesn't come immediately. So yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, I think it all comes down to having vision and having a mission in, in mind of what you're trying to accomplish. Over the last three years with as we've been building this product, of course we've had so many challenges come around, things taking longer than expected from the technology side, just team, you know, at one point we had to replace our entire technology team because the people that we had hired were not accomplishing or not getting things done the right way and doing what we needed them to. So we've, we went through nine months wasted of time. And it's frustrating because it's not just nine months wasted, but it's also all the money that we were spending on that team specifically for that time period. I just keep reminding myself of like, what is the greater mission of why I want to build this, right? And putting others before my own sort of like frustrations and thinking about how many 
thousands of hopefully one day millions of people that we can help save money on their travels and provide better experiences because of that money saved, right? So imagine you're going on a trip and booking it with us and saving $2,000. And because of that, you were able to do another excursion. You were able to take that dinner that you always wanted to, to a specific restaurant. And so just kind of keeping the mission and the vision in mind of why you're doing things that you're doing and putting that always ahead of yourself. I think that's been the driver of all of the patience, if you will. And just helping me fight all the challenges that have come my way, whether it was, you know, broken relationships that didn't work out with specific employees or people that came into our team or technology, you know, that didn't work the way that we expected to having to spend more money on rebuilding it from the ground up. You know, it literally just comes down to being very disciplined on keeping the target in front of you. Number one. And number two, also like you have to fall in love with the process. I know so many people talk about this. Everyone says like every, you know, entrepreneur out there who's said anything about you know, motivation or inspiration has said, just falling in love with the process. If you're the kind of person who truly enjoys waking up every single day to solve problems, and that's really what you're passionate about, you're going to make it regardless. So because the focus for me is every day now, it's like, how can I wake up every day and figure out how to do things better? And how can it be of value to the people around me by helping them understand it better or do it better? Just keeping that in mind of wanting to fall in love with the process because things are going to get hard. It's not going to be easy through the process. I'm sure you know this. So you talked about this actually. Yeah. I want to I bring this up because you mentioned this to me on private and you said about how you love to put out real content and the reality of things of how frustrating something can be, right? Whereas other people on social media may always just want to put out the best of what's happening and they're afraid to expose the reality of how challenging things can take, including planning a wedding. You were telling me like, I'm more than happy to help you guys. It's <laughs> yeah. been super frustrating. And you know, all these things come up when you're planning a wedding and a lot of people don't like to share those details, but you can agree to that. I'm sure is mm -hmm. things are going to get very challenging. So how do you go do that? How do you go from all the challenges that happen and still being able to run your business? Do you know, it's so similar as I've been listening to you for this podcast. I didn't realize this when I first reached out to you. We have such similar values in be of service. And yeah. for me, like I've lost my passion within my business. I've been doing what I do for 10 years and it's morphed and it's changed. And I've had years that are great, years that are awful. And I really continue, no matter what I'm doing, some, like you, sometimes I've consulted for companies to grow their online community and just done a variety of things. And I always come back to the same thing of what am I sharing that's going to help someone else's life? Whether it's me being like, sometimes me being vulnerable gives someone else permission that they're having a bad day. Sometimes we need to know that. And there's other times where I need to motivate myself because I'm in a down and out place. And so I'll, you know, post a motivational quote. So I'm always thinking about myself, but as you said, the user or the person following me. And I mean, it's just, it's so interesting. You and I do have such similar values yeah. of that. And it's just, it's like, you're not going to love what you do every single day. And Absolutely. Can you go to a place where even if you don't love it, or even if you're tired, or even if you're frustrated with your employees, or even if you know you have an employee quitting or whatever it might be, can you show up to that day with that mindset saying, this is not a bad day. This is a bad moment in a day. And I will find a solution that at least for me, that's what I, I think it's, that it wasn't a bad thing. day. It was a bad moment in a day. And I will find a solution no matter what. Absolutely. I agree with you. 
And just understanding that, you know, some of this kind of pain that we go through as entrepreneurs is part of the process. And when you come against something like what you just said, it's like, if you come against one of those moments, as long as you understand that that's just the moment, it, you're okay with it, right? You're not going to continue on dwelling on that very thing. So I love that. I love what you said. I have, do have a question. Why do you think most creators out there, because you're not one of these creators, why do you think most creators out there are not willing to put out that type of content where they're sharing on their challenges, their, their moments, their bad moments in their day? Why do you think that is? I think two reasons. One is that it's not in brand with whatever they post. And so let's 100%. say, you know, you're someone who's like sharing all your travels and things. It's not necessarily on brand to be like, well, I'm having a really shitty day because they're trying to just be inspirational. Whereas I've always said, I'm not niching myself down. I, I'm human. I want to help, you know, people go through this human experience. And I think at least what I've seen, there's also the complete opposite that some people are just like sharing so much of their life and all the bad days and everything. So it's it's definitely gone both ways. But I think there's a lot of people that feel they can't be quote unquote real or share the realness because people will think of them as less powerful than they are. And I think yeah. it's bullshit. I think that vulnerability is more powerful than anything else on this planet. And I love to know when someone else is having a frustrating day and struggling because I'm like, oh, fuck you, like you too. Okay, me as well. Yeah. But like, then, you know, then I get to see you rise yeah. up top. And it's like, we're all going through this human experience. And we all have bad days. We all have times where luggage gets lost or, you know, canceled flight or a fight with a person. And, and I, I really just think that it's either not on brand for that person, or people are also scared of their own vulnerabilities. People think that vulnerability is weakness. And I think that's Absolutely. bullshit. It is. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll leave it at this. The times where I've been vulnerable and I've shared my challenges on my Instagram, my personal Instagram, on the stories, those stories are the highest performing, the most engaging, the ones that have the most replies and DMs from people reaching out to me and saying, wow, like, thank you for saying that. Like, you bring so much light and to this world because of you sharing that, the issues that you're going through and challenges it motivated, it inspires me to want to keep going and knowing that I'm not alone in this. And I think more people should, let's inspire more people to do that. I love that. Well, Eric, this has been absolutely phenomenal. We definitely need to do a part two of this. And just for time's sake, you know, we could keep chatting forever, just about everything. But I just want to thank you so much for your time. And I mean, you have so many different amazing accounts and obviously you're doing so many things. So where do you want people to come and find you and follow you? So at Eric Demir across, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter, my handle is the same across all social media platforms. Definitely follow EarthPix if you a want to get out and travel more or you want to be inspired to be traveling or just want to love to indulge on beautiful, amazing content that makes you smile. And if you're a history buff, Highly recommend you follow History Photograph. Start learning so much about the history of this world. We share some most most powerful moments in history. So follow us there if you if you definitely want to learn more about history. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time. And I hope all of you enjoyed this podcast. If you guys have any questions, comments, you want to share what you learned or your experience with it, definitely hit both of us up on DM. And until next week, here's to a sharper life.